Hello and welcome to the OK What's Next podcast with Jason Van Ruler. I'm your host, Jordan Hebner. How's it going, Jason? I'm doing pretty well, Jordan. We're a couple weeks into 2021. Things are looking up. I feel pretty good. What about you? I'm feeling great. We were just discussing Scott Sauls. Can you tell me a little bit about him? Well, Scott is a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, but he's also an author, and he's written some fantastic books on the concept of resolution. And so I was Mm. really excited to talk to him today. What are the highlights? Well, he's great at bridging gaps where there might otherwise be conflict and going in and just kind of setting the table for an important discussion, but also one that might be difficult. Mm. So I think you're going to love it. Great. Well, let's hear it with Scott Sauls. Okay, welcome to the OK What's Next podcast. Today I am speaking with author and pastor Scott Sauls. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate being with you. Oh, I am thrilled to have you on. I was telling you a little bit in the warm up here that I had been reading your books over the weekend again and was just super excited to have you on the show to talk a little bit about some of that stuff. For some of our listeners that might not be familiar with your work or with the books that you've written, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Jason. So I'm a husband. Uh, My wife's name is Patty. I've got two daughters, Abby and Ellie, and they are 18 and 22 years old. And I am the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where I've been serving for almost nine years. We came here via New York City, where I had the privilege of working with Tim Keller and Redeemer Presbyterian Church. I regard Tim as a mentor and a significant shaping influence on my own ministry and the way that I do things. But got five published books and just started a sixth project right now. The latest book is a book called A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them, which turned out as, without intending to be so, a prequel to my first book, which is called Jesus Outside the Lines. And so that's kind of the the 30,000 foot view. And uh, it's good to be with you today, Jason. Yeah. I, I just have to ask, what was that transition like coming from New York to Nashville? I mean, I know Nashville is a growing community, but obviously mm-hmm. there are some differences there. Yeah, there are some differences, certainly in the history, but you know, Nashville is becoming very rapidly a cosmopolitan urban center for culture making and influence. It's got everything from arts and entertainment. Of course, the music industry is very robust here. Higher education with three major universities and then scores of other smaller colleges and universities in town and state government is here. You know, Silicon Valley of healthcare, uh, they call it. You know, Nashville is kind of the the center. I always get a little bit miffed that they don't call Silicon Valley the Nashville of technology. Well, but, they should. It's uh, the least we'll they can do. But, <laughs> yeah, both the New York Times and the LA Times about a decade ago started referring to Nashville as the third coast. And so we found that to be true. You know, we kind of joke, but it's actually true that we now have more New York friends in Nashville than we do in New York, even having lived in New York for five years. And so, you know, I, I would say that like New York, Nashville is a very diverse city, ethnically, socioeconomically, sociopolitically, internationally. But the difference is you would never know it unless you really work hard to move into various communities that are segregated from one another. You know, we've got a lot of painful history being a major kind of civil war town and all that that represents. 
So a lot of opportunity for fruitful ministry here. And it's a very forward-looking city that also has a past. And so it's an interesting place to live for sure. We are grateful that we get to live here. Yeah, I loved in your book when you were talking about the transition and just even the differences in housing from New York to Nashville Mm -hmm. and just kind of recognizing like this is going to be different than where we're coming from. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot more square footage for a lot less money. And, you know, we kind of laugh about how everything is relative because people who move to Nashville complain about how expensive it is to live here. And coming from New York City, we still feel like it's almost free to live here, you know, relative to what we paid there. No state income taxes and all of that. But you also miss out. You miss out on being able to walk out into New York City and all the glory and diversity that that represents as well. So, Well, Scott, I would like to welcome you to South Dakota. You can come anytime. Your money awesome. will go even farther here. So you, you are right. welcome, my friend. This will I would love to come to South Dakota. Another step for you. So you make this big transition. You're in ministry. I'm sure that shifts some of your focus and kind of the perspective of what you're doing. What leads you to start writing these books? Because you know, it's one thing to write a book, but you've written several and and they're actually all good too. And so what motivated you to kind of make that transition into writing? Yeah, I mean, nothing. You know, when I started pastoring here at Christ Presbyterian, I started to hear from literary agents and publishers, you know, floating the idea of writing a book. And that, that happened on the heels of our communications director suggesting that I start a blog, you know, just a way to reach out and connect with people through the social media world and things like that. And so I started writing a blog every week and enjoyed that a little bit, but just resisted the idea of writing a book because there's a big difference between writing a thousand word blog and a 50,000 word project, you know, for a book. And I also was of the mindset that You know, I'm so much a product of Tim Keller's vision. And Tim is just, you know, at the time was churning out three or four books a year. And I thought, you know, there's nothing that I could write that Tim's not going to say better. So why don't I just be the kind of person who draws attention to writers like him and other esteemed writers rather than presuming to be one myself? And then over time, as, you know, I was pastoring in the context that I'm in, The theme of reconciliation between opposing people groups, especially under the gospel in Christ, you know, the whole Jew and Gentile theme became a real central theme in our ministry here as we're trying to bridge generations and reach out into communities that our church hadn't traditionally or historically been in relationship with. And just reconciliation under the gospel became a huge theme. And so Jesus Outside the Lines was born out of that. And it was a two book agreement with the publisher. So I had to come up with another idea after that, which led to my second book. And both of those books did pretty well for a first time author in terms of just getting people into people's hands and people reading them and making it into different you know, movements and networks and such that all of a sudden I was a writer. So you had and another so transition, became, right? It's, it's Yeah, become- I mean, it became part of what I do as an extension of my ministry here at the church. I am, and I think I always will be, first and foremost, a, a pastor in the local church. This is where my love is. If I had to give up one, I would give up writing in a heartbeat to, you know, stay invested as a, as a local church pastor. But, but it has become a, another outlet to 
serve the mission and vision of our church and hopefully also to provide a resource for others who are trying to do some of the things that we're trying to do here. What about reconciliation stood out to you as being really important? Because one thing that I've noticed in reading your work is you have the ability to talk about hard things, but to do it eloquently and directly, right? So you get right to the heart of the matter, but you do it in a way that it's, it's easy to read and it's not something that separates people. So what about that was a passion point for you or what about that drew you to write more about it? Yeah, I think, you know, what we started out with was a revitalization effort in our church. And the, the big task was to reach people under the age of 60, you know, as a church that was aging out and yet is so wonderfully positioned and in, in kind of the dead center point of the metropolitan Nashville map. And so plenty of opportunity, but had essentially lost two or three generations And so our task was to kind of rework our vision toward the future while bringing along those who were here before me and honoring kind of the foundations of of the church before I got here. But my biggest task as a leader was to pivot the way that we did things in such a way that would have greater likelihood of reaching younger generations. And all of a sudden, younger generations started flooding in. And within a year, we'd grown by about a thousand people. And we were suddenly this intergenerational church with four equally distributed generations under the same roof with very different generational values and convictions and commitments. And that created, you know, the natural tensions that come with having political differences and socioeconomic differences, living in different neighborhoods and embracing different values having a different view toward the institution and things like that. And so it just led to this kind of ongoing conversation. It was becoming more and more of a theme in my preaching and my blog writing and and went from there. Four of my five published books have reconciliation as a central theme, a couple of them as the central theme of the books. So hopefully it's been helpful to some people. Well, absolutely. I wonder, is there something personal about that that's of interest to you too? Or did it really just, was it born out of that kind of need in the church? Or or is this something that personally you've been passionate mm. about too? That's a great question. And I, I think this is where the shaping influence of living in a global city in New York is significant because absolutely, yes, we had our eyes open and our hearts awakened to an international community. And, you know, we'd walk out on the streets and, you know, we'd be the subway. And some days we would hear more than a dozen languages spoken throughout the day. And, you know, I was serving in a church that was essentially biracial, Caucasian and Asian. Of course, there were other ethnicities, but there was an equal distribution, roughly equal distribution between Caucasians and Asians at Redeemer, probably 43% white, 43% Asian, and 4% other ethnicities. And a lot of the Asian population was Korean. And I was all of a sudden in a biracial church and leading a multi-ethnic team. And I learned a whole lot about my blind spots and very thankfully had some people who were willing to point out my blind spots and also not give up on me and, you know, stay it's in It's one thing to point it out, but it's another to stay with. Yeah. And some of these people I'm still in touch with and they're, they're great friends and I still learn from them and probably will until the day that I die. But yeah, that became an occasion for awakening and in some ways repentance for me. And then it, it accelerated and graduated into a passion and a core value for life and ministry. And We've tried to incorporate some of that here in our own context as well in Nashville since coming here. 
And I'm so thankful that you did that. In your book, you talked a little bit about sometimes for you, it was hard to hear challenges or criticism. So as you're talking about, you know, some people are coming to you and, and you're learning about blind spots. Was that difficult at first to kind of embrace that and then do something with it? Or, or was that easy to say, yep, you're right. This is something I kind of struggle with and I'm going to work on it. Well, it's never easy. It's always painful, you know, especially in a global city where you've got people of color telling you that you're racially insensitive and that there are things that you don't see that you really need to learn to see. It, it, it's painful. When I was in my late 30s, early 40s at the time, and I'd been a pastor for 15-something years and planted a couple of churches and taught in seminary. And, you know, you, you know, you get there and you think, oh, you know, I, I can do this. And you just realize, oh, my goodness, I'm back to square one with a brand new learning curve that really matters a lot because people's feelings are involved. You know, people's ethnic histories and cultural identities are important. And so it was painful, but so important. Yeah. And what I love is you just embrace that, right? I mean, instead of just kind of getting stalled out and saying, yep, this is going to be a challenge or this is another shift. You took that and you said, well, I'm going to learn something. and I'm going to get better, right? And in getting better, I can help more people. And I think that's what you've done with the books, right? Is you've kind of taken what was maybe an issue that you could have ignored initially, and you've expanded it into a series of books that really now has that global reach that is helping people. Do you see that? Do you get emails from people saying like, wow, this has really helped me to expand my worldview or maybe look at situations differently? On the race conversation? Yeah, or any of I, those. Yeah, I think that on the race conversation, I would be very, very reluctant to put myself in the category of an expert or as somebody who's not still very much in a place of learning and growth. I think, though, that maybe my role, at least up to this point, has been that of a bridge, hopefully a bridge builder between communities that have a hard time understanding one another because and I will never understand, for example, what it will be like to be a black person in America or to be Asian or Latinx or, or what have you, or, or Native American. I'll never understand on a personal level what it's like. Where I have grown is in elevating empathy as a core value and in helping people who might be disposed toward just tribalizing and shielding themselves from any type of uncomfortable conversation to come together in hopes of building a bridge. And so I feel like that's been part of my role is at least setting the table for conversations that invite that, that invite reciprocal empathy and hearing one another's struggles and insecurities and pain around things like race or things like generational differences or income disparities or, or, or power differentials or what have you. So, but I'm still learning. Again, I don't think I'm an expert. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I, I just love how you say I'm trying to build that bridge, right? Because mm -hmm. to your point, we can't understand other people's experiences the way that they have. And so we're just not going to get there. We can try and we should try. But mm -hmm. what I love that you're saying is I'm setting the table for that conversation. And when I read mm -hmm. your work, I, I think that's what you do so well is you set the table for a conversation that might be difficult, but you do it in such a way that people can be respected and heard. And that's something I haven't always seen. And so I feel like you're really summing it up pretty well, right? Is, is you do set the table for those conversations. So 
as you do that and you look forward to other projects, do you look to set the table for other conversations or do you feel like there's more that you'd like to talk about on this that you're expanding on? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, my next project is also my next season of preaching and that is just to to focus on the person and work of Christ. And, you know, my next book project will be a, a bit different in that it will be built around his invitation to all who are weary uh, to come to him. And maybe more of a pastoral book, you know, uh, speaking to the heart than the ones in the past have been more about, hey, how do we conduct ourselves in the church and in the culture, you know, which certainly have their place. But I, I think I may have written all that I've, I've got to say on those things. And I, I think really where my heart is moving is, is just in the direction of trying to convince people that God loves them. You wish it weren't. I mean, it, it should be so simple, but it, it's yeah. tough. Well, it's hard to believe it sometimes too, so. That's true. That's true. How do you make that shift? So with with kind of that heart change you were talking about, is that achieved through prayer or is that something that you you kind of are working through when you find a new interest or how, how does that come about for you to kind of make that decision about where to go next? Well, I'm in a great community. I'm in a church with four different locations and four different lead pastors and just have the privilege of having those conversations and making those decisions in community. You know, it's more about where is God leading us than it is about where God is leading me. And yet, you know, there's a lot of personal aspects to it as well. You know, I just turned 50 a couple of years ago, and this is, as I understand it, just developmentally, this is a decade where you become a lot more of a contemplative and a bit less of a visionary and hill climber and so on, and and more and more of a contemplative and orienting your life and your heart around things that are more essential and lasting. And so, so I'm hoping that this will be a decade that's focused on that, you know, maybe like a Henry Nowen for dummies or something like that. <laughs> I will be the first one to order that. That sounds fantastic. I love that one. So that, okay. that works for Good. me. And yeah. I, I love just the comment about making that transition because we do have those seasons in our life, right? And not every season is the same. And even just in our talk today, I mean, you've kind of highlighted, you've had a lot of different seasons and shifts and transitions that you've, you've worked through. And so this is just maybe naturally the next one for you, right? Is that contemplation. And I think that we'll all be enriched and, and better off for reading that work. But I just love how you approach that concept as you approach that concept, if you could kind of share just one theme today with people or something that you might want them to know about that or a hope about the work that you're doing and what it teaches people, what might that be or what might one of those things be? Yeah, I think probably the summary theme would be your suffering and the things that you don't like about yourself are not things that cause Jesus to want to move away from you. They're actually the things that make him want to move toward you. And that's a paradigm shift to think even of God that way, but that's how he represents himself. And so I want to help more people, including myself, live into that. That's powerful. And I think you're right, is that this maybe goes against what we would think typically Mm -hmm. about how that works. Mm -hmm. I know in my experience, uh, working with people that kind of showing who you are, we feel like that's going to push people away and God Mm -hmm. as well. But it doesn't usually work like that. It's just, it feels so risky to do that, right? And to engage in that vulnerability. And I think that's what you're speaking to, right? Is that if we're willing to do that, what we might find is that God moves towards us rather than away from us like we might suspect. Yeah, I think so. Well, I love it. 
I so appreciate, Scott, your time today and just talking with me a little bit about some of the work that you've done and what's on the horizon for you. I'm certain the book will be fantastic, and I'm thankful for all that you do for the community and for your family. And so just appreciate having you on today. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Scott. Hey, everyone. Jason Van Ruler here again. Wanted to check in and just say I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. At the end of every interview, I sit down for a couple of minutes with my journal and my pen, and I write down what I took away from that. And I have to tell you, I mean, this season, I have taken away so much. It's just like I'm learning. This is like a huge education for me. And so I hope it is for you, too, and that you're enjoying the show so far. If you are, now might be a good time for me to tell you a little bit about my goal for 2021, which is to help a 1,000 people realize their what's next. And so if you're like me and you want to help other people do that, I'd ask, could you leave a positive review if you're liking the show or subscribe or even maybe share that? I think the more that we share this information and get it out, the more people see that they can do it too. Lastly, thanks for listening. This show has been such a blessing in my life. I could not have imagined how this would have gone in this journey. And so I just thank you for being a part of it.